0: In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply, what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary. We don't know the contrast organic We have a good program in store for you today. Uh, My name is Vince Emanuele. You're listening to the Progressive Radio Network, where you can find us here, Meditations and Molotovs, every Monday, 1 p.m. Central Time at prn.fm. You can check out our Facebook page at Meditations and Molotovs or my Facebook page at Vince Emanuele. And since I'm terrible at keeping up with multiple Facebook pages, including the space in which we sit right now, Um, just go to my Facebook page. It'll be much easier. That's pretty much where I post things, but I was going to do a program with just some articles and talk about some topical things by myself. But then I came to park and the lovely Sarah Zawacki is here. So We are joined by Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Vince, for having me.
0: All right. So people are going to need to know a little bit about you. Um, So, yeah, who are you? How do we know each other?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we met through Progressive Coffee Caucus um, back when I was volunteering with the Bernie campaign from Michigan City. I've lived here my entire life, 21 years old. Um, just now getting involved in local activism and, you know, environmental activism and organizing. And it's just been a really great experience for the past few months that I've been doing this.
0: So I have always been amazed at how young you are and how smart you are and how dumb I was when I was 21. (laughs) And so... And you're 21 now, which is amazing because that means during the Bernie campaign, you were like 19, 20 years old. Correct. Okay. So how do you get involved Mm -hmm. with such a thing? Like how, what turned you on to progressive politics?
1: Well, I think a lot of it was the presence of Bernie Sanders on social media. And then I just started talking to my friends more about it and, you know, kind of evolved my politics through that. Um, and a lot of what I saw growing up reflected in the Bernie campaign and that spoke to me. So I just wanted to continue, you know, with organizing and activism after the Bernie campaign.
0: What's some of the what are some of those things
1: that you're uh, talking about? The uh, definitely the universal health care, the need for universal health care all around the country. I mean, we have so many health care issues from now lead poisoning to uh, the opioid crisis, and then before that, the crack epidemic, um, and also just you know regular folks that are struggling in daily life and struggling through medical bills. That in other countries we don't we don't have that kind of struggle, and I think that America would be a very different place if we had, you know, a relief from that stress. Mm-hmm.
0: And those were things you you saw as a child.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had a lot of you know family members struggle through struggle through addiction, um, and saw you know luckily everybody you know was fine and recovered. But I think, um, I think that a lot of that would have been avoided or possibly remedied easier if the financial burden wasn't in the way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think so as well. And it's fucking crazy because, oh, and you can swear, by the way, which is good.
1: Awesome. I guess,
0: we, I guess we don't have to abuse it. Although, for those of you who are out there, you should know that Sarah, it has the mouth of a sailor.
1: I so. apologize. <laughs> it comes from working in the service industry, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. So so you work at Walmart. Correct. Um, what kinds of things do you have to deal with in the service industry that say, mm-hmm. if I worked at Walmart, I wouldn't have to deal with?
1: It. Well, obviously, you know, I'm a female and, and you're a male and the sexual harassment, you wouldn't have to deal with as much. Um, now it, what do
0: you mean? Can you talk specifically about that?
1: About sexual harassment? Yeah, if you don't
0: mind, if oh, you don't no, want I, to. It's...
1: No, I don't okay. mind. Um,
0: like, are you mean from coworkers or customers or well, both? both?
1: Okay. Definitely both. Um, Like I have a coworker that comes up to me almost every day and says something inappropriate. Um, And then from customers I've had, uh, while I was a waitress, I've had someone try to slip money into my shirt. Um, And that was at a family restaurant too. So I think um, the sexual harassment is a huge issue, not just in Michigan city, but throughout the entire country.
0: And not just in the service industry. Correct. It's just, we have this patriarchy that we live with. Right. And then people, what do you, so what do you think, okay, and that's working in the service industry, Mm -hmm. what do you think could happen to deal with that? Like, what do you Mm -hmm. think, what do you think people could do?
1: Well, I think that obviously companies should be held more accountable. Um, Definitely management should be held accountable. I had an incident where a coworker was inappropriately touching me on multiple, you know, multiple times. And my department manager was watching the entire thing and didn't really do anything. I brought it up to his manager. Nothing happened. And then all three of those employees ended up going to different stores. So three people that perpetuated or took part in sexual harassment went on to different stores and spread this you know, lack of care and lack of accountability.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to stick with this topic too much, but it's oh. a topic that I think is very important because as you mentioned, it's not just Michigan city. There's a lot of people and particularly millennials who are disproportionately represented in the service industry. And these are the sort of jobs that are being created and I I just think it's really important for people to hear real world stories of what it's like to work in those jobs. I mean, I heard someone say it the other day, I might've been with you, but someone had said, you know, everyone should work in retail and everyone, and I had said, well, I think everyone should work in the restaurant industry Mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you. People
0: should have to go through that. Right. Um, and, and do that uh, no matter what they do just to have an understanding and even then I mean what do you so do you think so a place like Walmart what do you mm-hmm. think is the best case scenario to do with a place like that like in the short term is it living wage jobs and pressuring them to offer benefits is it like worker control more worker control of Walmart is it unionizing Walmart workers like what do you think when you think of that industry
1: well the company is already so anti-union I mean for example during orientation you have to watch uh, you know couple minutes long video that's basically an anti-union propaganda video they have the exact same actors and script um, at the uh, Home Depot store as well so I think unionizing you know on a corporate level that would be very difficult so, I think the count you know the company just needs to have policies put in place, new policies that will actually hold account you know managers accountable, maybe even have some kind of review board for them. Um, but I think unionizing Walmart just with the amount of employees, you know the amount of people that are employed at Walmart throughout the entire world, that could be very difficult, but I think seeing that at least try to happen would be really awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think, I mean, are there a lot of people there who you work with who are interested in organizing?
1: Um, well, primarily at Walmart, it's working class people. A lot of them aren't educated, so they haven't been exposed to that kind of rhetoric, especially in the more rural stores. In uh, L.A., you know, they organized at a Walmart there, and they actually planned to walk out on Black Friday. But in the more rural stores, especially in stores that are in anti-union states, such as Indiana, people are already anti-union. Right. The workers are already anti-union, and Walmart pushes that, you know, even more on them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and to me, it just seems like that can't last. And it just seems like people, how many jobs can people work and how far can you press people who don't have health care, who could be thousands of dollars in student loan debt. Now, are you going to school as well? Yes. Where do you go to school?
1: I go to school at Purdue Northwest, uh, the Westville campus and the Hammond campus as well.
0: Right on. So what are you studying there?
1: Political science with a minor in English.
0: Very cool. What has your experience been so far?
1: Um I think I get frustrated a lot in class, but you know, that's mostly from other students. But I'm trying online courses this semester. Um I think interacting with other students, especially at Westville was always a little difficult for me because I didn't relate to a lot of them. Uh, a lot of the people that I, you know, associated with at Purdue, I also went to high school with, so I already knew them. Um you know, we just have different backgrounds the other students and I. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Do you want to elaborate on that?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Yeah, like, um, you, <laughs> you're
0: so <laughs> damn you're so damn serious today. I feel like <laughs> you are making me more serious. My Sarah's bad. usually not so serious. Anyway, yeah. we'll get to, we'll get to this.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh well, you know, students from <laughs> Valpo and Chesterton and Westville just grew up with a little more wealth than I did. Ah, yes. You know, went to schools that were 80 to 90% white as opposed to Michigan city high school, that was 30 to 40% Mm -hmm. African-American. You know, I think that played a huge role in how I learned growing up and, and then, you know, bringing that to school and then not having that kind of demographic and that kind of classroom environment, you know, it's more difficult when you're in a completely different environment than you've been before.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I felt that way as we moved from Chicago to Chesterton
1: I can see that yeah <laughs> I can so see that how did was your was a how did uh, how your dad do with that
0: he uh, yeah i mean i think i think it was a struggle for both him and my mom
1: yeah
0: particularly my mom though because my dad was often at work so traveling mm-hmm. back to chicago uh, and my okay. mom was taking care of my brother and i and working part time locally okay so I think for her it was more difficult because, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember her like complaining because there were no streetlights.
1: Yeah, she's like, "It's so
0: dark here. Like, I don't know, I knew the roads. Like, she was used. To, she was just such a city person, and right. so was my dad. Um, it's very interesting, and even to to today. I mean, I think that they still would like to move to a more populated area. They're the type mm-hmm. of people who. uh, like, like to be on the move and like doing things like out and about, like they go out more often than I do, you know, like like, (laughs) doing cooler things. My dad dresses more hip than I do. (laughs) So yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I actually, I don't know though. I've been thinking a lot more about like cities and urban environments and I, I feel more and more detached from cities and urban environments. Like I can't I like them in short spurts. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not one of these people who are like, "Oh, I don't like these places at all." Like, I like them uh, in short spurts. I I like like the amount of activity and seeing different people, and Mm -hmm. I like all of that. Like, it's cool. But yeah, I I don't, I don't know though. As far as living in one, I I feel like my mind would not work properly.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. I like going to Chicago. You know, for. Blackhawks game, or, you know, baseball game, or even just walking around the city for a few hours and going to a museum, but I always like to be able to come back and, you know, not be around so many people and have, you know, a bit more quiet time.
0: Yeah, I've often thought, I I mean, I would love to actually live out in the country for a little while. I've lived in all kinds of environments, but I've Mm. never had a place, like, away from everything. Mm -hmm. Like, just you know, where you go to the store like once a week or once right. every couple of weeks or something. Like, yeah. I would like to do that.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, my mom's house is uh, off of 35 and it's out in a more rural area. It's a suburb. Um, but we have, you know, woods behind our house. And so I've grown up, you know, going out into the woods and being outside all the time. And yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine growing up in somewhere like, you know, south side of Chicago where you can't just walk out your back door and then there's you know the woods and nature and it's completely untouched by humans (laughs) no there was an alley
0: yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. if i walked out my back
0: door i would walk through the yard and then there was an alley on the other side of our detached (laughs) garage like so many homes are built right um but yeah so anyway well shit Rural and urban homes. We haven't gotten to any of the articles yet. I guess we could get to them eventually. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, we can get. So there. what? What else is happening? What else is going on? What? What's? What's? What are? What are you stewing on, lately? What am I stewing yeah, on? What are you thinking about? I'm
1: stewing on bike safety in Michigan City.
0: <laughs> what happened? Yeah. You almost got killed by <laughs> yeah, a
1: truck. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you
0: think it's more like people just don't give a fuck in this area?
1: I see. I don't know. I think it's that, and I mean there are no really safe bike paths in michigan city at least you know in the city streets like by lighthouse mall that's where i was at i was right by lighthouse mall and what i the know how were
0: you doing biking over there you
1: know, just well i i <laughs> rode my bike up to the beach actually that's oh, okay, what okay. i was doing okay you know rode my Not bike to legitimate the beach, going i was gonna back, mess yeah. with you and be like
0: you know but anyway no, 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 yeah, okay that's legitimate
1: yeah and well on my way back was when this incident happened and uh yeah, a truck almost hit me. I could see him on his phone as I turned my handlebars very quickly and shoved my foot to the ground so I didn't get hit almost head-on. Um, but I, 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 it got you me thinking. A helmet? I was not wearing a helmet. I don't. <sighs> yeah, I, I had that problem. I have a scar from mm-hmm, skating mm-hmm. as well because I didn't wear elbow pads. Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, I know. Please. <laughs> Please. I actually had someone message me and offered to buy me a helmet. And I was like, no, it's I'll okay. We're going
0: to start a GoFundMe GoFundMe Go Go page tonight.
1: for Sarah's helmet. Everyone
0: who's listening, pay attention. We're going to buy Sarah a badass helmet.
1: I want flames on the side of
0: it. <laughs> One of those fake mohawks.
1: Yeah.
0: I've been seeing those too. The kids wearing them. That's great.
1: Oh, the kids. So what can feds. the city
0: do better? And what can we do better as human beings with regard to bike safety?
1: Well... I think the city could just have more signs, you know, maybe more signage would help like caution bikes, or I know that they have bike paths too on Pine street and, uh, the boulevard. I think maybe if they could widen those a little bit, because I have a cruiser, so I have the wide handlebars, so I can't like navigate those super thin, you know, I think they're designed more for, uh, like the uh, mountain bikes with the super thin wheels. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think signage and maybe some more lighting and just public education, too. Um, I think a lot of drivers just don't know how to interact with bikers, especially in the U.S. There's not really a huge bike culture here except for places out west. Um, Well, Chicago has decent bike culture. Yeah. I have to
0: give some other places some credit. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not quite like Portland or. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, weather also hampers that. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Although I have friends who bike in anything, yeah, but they're nuts, and that's not everybody, so.
1: Right, yeah, and I, I was uh, doing some research on, you know, what other cities have done, and um in Delaware, they have a huge, they have a program for all this, and it's like uh, they educate people on the different groups of bikers, so you have group A bikers that are what you were saying pretty much experienced in any terrain and they don't have any issues you know they don't need any traffic separation but then there's bikers like me that are in uh B and group B and C you know and young kids too they would rather have not main street uh bike routes so you know mm-hmm. side streets um and with little to no traffic flow right and i think just educating maybe the uh, street department on different kinds of cyclists and, you know, safety issues for them. I think that could definitely be beneficial here.
0: It'd be cool if we could turn some of those alleys that run north and south into straight-up bike bill- lanes Mm -hmm. you know yeah
1: yeah well i i ride my bike through alleyways too you know when i'm riding through the city that's what i usually take is alleyways or side streets
0: that's because you're gangster
1: (laughs) also (laughs) because i'm a gangster (laughs) correct
0: (laughs) um well all right so we need to take that to the city too so we have something else on the list i hope people from the environmental subcommittee are paying attention I, i i don't know if that's on them is that environment
1: um, I think what, what so. Is yeah. It, or health, I, health. Yeah, Should We have
0: a health and safety well, subcommittee, I was, I was, yeah.
1: <laughs> public safety <laughs> subcommittee. That would be good. I'd be into that.
0: <laughs> what were you going to say?
1: Um, no, I, I have something that I'm going to bring up at the uh, state of the city address for, you know, possibly introducing some kind of ordinance that makes Michigan city a bike friendly town.
0: Hmm. I like it. Hmm. We have, uh, the ordinance coming up with, uh, the immigrant rights ordinance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: welcoming city ordinance.
1: I'm excited to see how that goes. I think it'll. I
0: am too.
1: I think it'll go well because the other cities around have also passed it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think so too. I hope so. I hope so too. We'll see. Yes. So yeah, so we were together on Friday. We saw each other. We went to Sam's 40th birthday. Awesome uh, place, the Live Arts Studio in Gary, Indiana, Broadway. Uh, Broadway and Ridge Road, uh, Glen Park neighborhood, an amazing spot. Check it out. Um, if you know of people in the region, pass along that information. It's Live Art Studio that's on Broadway in Gary, Indiana in the Glen Park neighborhood right at the Broadway and Ridge Road, just south of Ridge Road. Uh, cool place, though, yeah?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a cool place.
0: I like, I like it. See, that's what I'm hoping, too, with this space, that we can have people – Constantly using it right and just be here. And I mean like it was great that you're here today
1: Oh, yeah, um,
0: but just generally like even people we don't know, you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: It takes a lot though. Like I was th- I was talking to Sergio the other night mm-hmm. There's so much happening We haven't put the proper TLC into this mm-hmm. place since we've opened it as we should uh, Be doing so that needs to change um, but it's difficult because there's so many other things happening right. important things happening and right. not that this isn't important, but there's all these events and things like, so tell us about what's going on tomorrow. For instance,
1: uh, tomorrow Ron Muir is going to be at no
0: tomorrow's the 20th health link. Oh yes. Health link. Correct. HealthLink, okay,
1: correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, health link is going to be doing wellness checks at the Lakeland housing development that's on Carwick road. And what time? Uh, they are going to be there from, I believe, 9 to 4.30. And then there's also one on the 26th at um, Cool Spring, I believe, the Cool okay. Spring Estates, uh, another housing development. Um, and that is going to be from 11 to 4. And they are going to be doing lead testing as well. So I would encourage anybody who's listening that's in those developments to – get out and you know if you can and we're going to be there too handing out some pamphlets and just education and talking to people um, about what they're experiencing in the city and kind of how they feel about these different uh developments going on you know the economic developments going on um yeah so that's going on tomorrow and the 26th
0: right on right on so yeah so we have a lead issue in Michigan City not quite mm-hmm. as catastrophic, at least as far as we know, as uh the situation in East Chicago or the situation in Flint. However, it is significant. I think there's been what over three hundred and twenty kids who've tested high for lead. Yeah. And that was yeah. uh, head start through Head Start that the, that the testing took place. Yeah. So anyway, uh can you give us the info one more time?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be the 20th tomorrow from 9 until 4.30 at Lakeland, and then the 26th, it's going to be from 11 to 4 at Cool Spring Estates.
0: Awesome. Awesome. You want to jump into these articles?
1: Let's do it. All right. I'm ready.
0: Officer Yanez found not guilty on all counts in Philando Castile's death, St. Paul, yeah. Minnesota. After days of deliberation, a jury found Yanez and St. Anthony I'm sorry, the St. Anthony police officer, Yanez, who fatally shot Philando Castile during a traffic stop last summer, not guilty of second degree manslaughter in the school cafeteria workers death. Mm -hmm. Four days after attorneys made closing arguments, a jury decided Friday that the 29 year old police officer was not guilty of culpable negligence in Castile's death. The officer would have faced up to a decade in prison. He was also found not guilty of two counts of endangerment by intentionally shooting a firearm, one count relating to Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, and the other pertaining to her child who was sitting in the back seat. Somebody's phone went off. Is that yours? Um, It's okay. I can can check. No, it's all right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so once again, nobody's charged. I mean— Here's the thing. I think like everybody, I mean, most of the people who are going to listen to this know where we're coming from with regard to this. Um, I guess I wonder at this point, what could we do in the short term to organize communities that around these issues, like in a, in a very useful way? Because hmm. I've been to a lot of events. Um, we had one event here in Michigan City—a march. I don't. Were you at that event? I was not. It's actually a, a Black Lives Matter march here. It was interesting. Um, but I haven't seen any of the people, you know, in the groups, and I'm not sure who like was there and all these things. Like it does, it, we don't seem to have a community group here in Michigan City focused on that. So say there's other people who are sitting there like us, and they would like for there to be a group mm-hmm. who locally focuses on these issues, mm-hmm. educates people, mobilizes people, organizes them. Um, what could we do? What do you think? What do you think we need to be doing?
1: Well, um, I think just getting out more into those communities, like you know what we're doing with the lead, we're trying to reach out to these communities, um, and we would like to know because I don't know if there's any people who are interested in organizing in those, you know, communities and communities of color in Michigan city. So I think just getting out more and just talking to people, that's all you have to do. Just talk to people that, you know, um, that your friends know and just see how people are feeling. And then, you know, if there are organizers that need to work together, that need to meet up, then we need to make those connections and, um, I think just encouraging people to a lot of people think that if they have, you know, felonies or criminal records that they can't organize. And I think I want this space to be welcoming to everybody, you know, so I don't want anybody to feel excluded because of that. So yeah, I think just getting out and talking to folks is very important.
0: Yeah. And it's so difficult sometimes people find it so difficult to get out. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's because we've spent so much time like electronically with one another, like spending so much time communicating via electronics?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely, especially with young people and millennials, you know, a lot of our conversations are over the internet or, you know, especially with women, you know, you get satisfaction or some kind of you know societal approval from getting likes on Mm -hmm. a selfie Mm -hmm. um so i think that you know definitely plays a role in human interaction on a daily basis and i've always been interested in kind of how things were before social media was around Mm -hmm. you know especially with young people and how young people interacted with each other Mm -hmm. i've always been interested in that
0: i feel Mm -hmm. like i would have gotten in a lot of trouble yeah. If social media would have been around.
1: <laughs> and I wonder. Yeah.
0: Because I always wonder how much the, the childhood experience has changed in the midst of social media. So right. like we had. You're going to laugh. But we I had AOL instant messenger
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, when I was a senior in high okay. school. And that was the first wow. Internet I had was when I was a senior. Like I didn't. have. Yeah. There was no. The only electronics we had in my house were mm-hmm. the TV. Yeah. And video game systems until I was a senior and then we got like a desktop computer and then you know it was AOL instant messenger
1: yeah and I had that when I was in fourth grade
0: AOL (laughs) instant messenger (laughs) yeah yeah and that was nutty enough because that was like a way that everybody was like hooking up it was like you're sending messages and we're like oh my god like AOL instant messenger yeah but now excuse me it's like there's videos and pictures and mm-hmm. I just imagine and I'm hearing about all these things being used by people in like this bullying way. So like so <clears throat> like you know, like mainly men using this against women mm-hmm. where they have where they where they have stop banging the tables here <laughs> Where they have uh you know, pictures of someone and mm-hmm. then they want to like degrade them publicly. Yeah. yeah. So this is horrific. Like I think about all of that, like it's a I just can't, okay, so I need to just shut up and tell me what it was like growing up with social media and what do you mm-hmm. think it was like without it?
1: Um, I think with it, well, there's, you know, obviously you kind of brought it up, the revenge porn, you know, people or men you mainly using revenge porn to, you know, degrade women publicly, humiliate women. Um, but then you also have the issue of, people not express expressing their sexuality in a healthy way. Mm. Um, so I think that definitely plays a role and maybe that's why STDs have gone up, you know, STD rates have spiked recently. Mm. Um, you know, just not getting proper education and yeah, I mean, having social media growing up, I mean, you know, if you wanted to party or break the law or, you know, do anything illegal. That's how you did it. You communicated via social media mm-hmm. because, you know, your parents don't understand how to use it. They don't understand the acronyms, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's
0: the best. So yeah. Your parents are just reading all these acronyms and, they're like, and they okay, have, yeah. This yeah, is, what even is going on. Yeah. That's great.
1: Oh, oh yeah. It didn't just, have that. Oh yeah. It adds a whole other level of sneaky that I think, you know, kids growing up before social media just didn't have, but
0: I use notes. Yeah. My mom used to find notes and then cry and freak out. <laughs> She'd be like, Vince, you have to talk to your son. I can't believe this is happening. Like that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we would get caught texting in class. <laughs> you know, so we didn't have the
0: you that physical to even pass anything.
1: Yeah, we didn't have the physical evidence. We could just delete it.
0: Oh my god. Yeah. So, so what do you think it was like with like you said that you wish you had a childhood without social mm-hmm. media. So I didn't have a social media account until I was 21. Hmm. When I came back from my second deployment to Iraq, yeah. my friend Luke was the only person in our <laughs> barracks with internet like oh, wow. in our platoon, like nobody had internet even then. Mm-hmm. I still had a Nokia brick phone. The yeah. Heads. The only game it had on it was Snake,
1: and it never broke. And it never broke.
0: No, it never worked either. But it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was Snake. But anyway, um, yeah, he had the internet, and I remember creating a Facebook account like right after they allowed Ooh. non-college students to create one. Oh wow! And I was like, oh man, I was like. You know, now I was reaching out to all these people I hadn't seen in a while.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and even that was like an extension of AOL. It was just like right. I was getting messages from people who were like, hey, would you like to go on a date when you get back? You know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is really cool, you know? <laughs> um, then it turned into like specifically an organizing tool. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, in a way to get, you know, the word out there about interesting events. But what do you think it was like if, without social media? Like, what, what is it that you think of when you think of? childhood without social media?
1: Well, I always think of house phones because I had a house phone growing up too. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I was in that middle in between where we had internet, but it was dial up, you know, it was really crappy connection. So I think I was just in that middle where I kind of had technology growing up, but I also lived in an area where I could walk outside and, you know, there's woods behind me and I could, you know, be outside and play with other kids too. So I think I had a decent mix between the two, but I think without any at all, like, you know, you had, you would probably have to call people on the house phone to like hang out or, you know, like even party in high school, you know, and memorize numbers and memorize numbers.
0: Remember numbers.
1: Yeah. I, I'm pretty good with, with remembering numbers, but, uh, I was definitely better when I had a house phone, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember, I, yeah, I remembered like having people's numbers in your head. You just had all your friends, you just picked up the phone, you started calling. And then that was also like your parents answering the phone
1: Mm -hmm.
0: when, you know, lovers and so on were calling the house at like midnight. Yeah. And my mom would freak out.
1: Who's <laughs> calling? <laughs> what what, are these, what does this girl want? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't I didn't have that problem because I would just text them oh or call them my on my God, cell phone. That
0: must have been so nice.
1: It was, yeah. I was lucky.
0: No, like that's the kind of, you know, see, so there's a benefit. Like, there <laughs> yeah.
1: You go. Right. Uh, so, have a little more privacy, I think.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That.
1: Yeah.
0: And you think that that's like people are way more promiscuous.
1: Um. Well, it really depends on your parents. You know, my mom wasn't. She was pretty protective. You know, uh, but she also at the same time knew what was going on. So just right. you know, kind of. I wouldn't say ignored it, but like she's you know, Catholic. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah she's Catholic. <laughs> so yeah, that I should have just all that, love, that love
0: to Sarah's mom. I'm just joking. I grew up Catholic, <laughs> so I'm just, just making jokes. <laughs> I, th- I think that's like kind of the Catholic thing is to look the other way, and then yeah. you can always apologize on Sunday and everything's okay.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. As long nice. as you went to church on Sundays, you're good.
0: Quite a convenient <laughs> re- religion.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very convenient. When did
0: you realize? What, did you grow up religious?
1: Um. Yeah. I went to. Well, I went to Catholic school, and um, For I was so long? I was exposed to that from kindergarten to eighth grade. Ooh. Yeah. So all the, all the early education was a, a private school. And, um, but I, I always kind of like pushed it to the back of my mind. I think in the back of my mind, I knew that I just didn't really buy all of that. You know, I maybe pretended a little bit like I did just to be socially accepted for the most part. But, um,
0: what age though? Like what age were you like? Yeah, this is BS.
1: Uh, I think it was really early. It was, maybe nine or ten, I think, after my uh, grandfather died. Hmm. And I just kind of started thinking, you know, um, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then I started asking questions in class about death and, like, sexuality. And the answers that I got back, I knew that they were wrong. You know, I knew that I couldn't believe something that uh, says that, you know, one group of people, particularly gay people, are less than, or, you know, they're wrong. Like there's something wrong with them. I never believed that. And I think that that was the biggest thing that drove me away from the church and religion in general.
0: Okay. So more like their views on sexuality, right? How about their like views on gender? Was that something that you picked up right away? Or did oh that, like, yeah. Take time. To...
1: Yeah. That was definitely something I picked up right away. Um, my, uh, I have an aunt who's very close to me. She, uh, you know, always taught me the concepts of feminism, you know, that was growing up as a small child that we always talked about gender roles and stuff like that at family dinners. So, um, yeah, I was exposed to that kind of thinking at an early age. So when I experienced it in school, I could see the double standard, you know, I could see how women were treated and, you know, in the church and in, particularly in the Bible, mm-hmm um, every single story that a woman is mentioned and she's almost always called a whore or, you know, uh, like just, or, you know, even with the concept of virginity with, you know, the, um, with Mary, uh, that I, yeah, I picked up on that at a pretty early age and I never, I never believed it and just saw the double standard and thought like, this is wrong. I can't be a part of this, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of believe it because that's what everybody else is doing. So
0: yeah. you don't believe that you came from my rib. Is that what you're telling
1: me? I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, no, nah, I don't understand. I don't know. That's my thing. I don't know how we got here, but I think whatever is going on is, Pretty good. I think it's a He'll, little
0: more complex than me, like a woman coming from someone's right. room.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a story. The Bible is a story. You know, I, I'll give it that it's a really great story. And I've read through the Bible once or hmm. twice. And I think it's a good story. But as far as a belief system, no. It's yeah. extremely sexist and even classist, too. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Hmm. so, what? So, you also. You were telling me about your grandfather. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about your history. Mm-hmm. So you, so your, your ethnic heritage is Jewish Polish. Yes. And But your religious background is Catholic, Catholicism. Right. And you were telling me about your grandfather.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can do you want to tell that story?
1: Yeah. It's oh, an awesome story. Um, Not, I mean. <laughs> well, he was, uh, he was in world war two, came here from Poland and he was in world war two and
0: so fled Poland came here and then fought with the U.S.
1: Correct. Yeah. fled Poland, uh, right before the Nazi occupation came to Ellis Island, uh, got the name changed, came to Michigan city and sent, uh, he sent my dad and all of, uh, my, my two, my dad's siblings sent them to Catholic school, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, he came from Poland and then joined the military, was in the army, and went to Germany and killed some Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we actually, my brother and I, found this huge box yeah, in my yeah, dad's basement. Uh, we found the box full of Nazi memorabilia, and we were really shocked you know, like, what is going on? What's dad going through? <laughs> My dad just started. He'd been watching Fox News, so I was concerned. So we brought it up to him. We're like, "Dad, what's going on?" And then he's like, "No, you know, that's that's from your grandpa." And we're like, "Oh, trophies."
0: Hmm. What was your grandpa's politics?
1: You know, that? he um, he was really sick from uh from the time I was a kid. He had Alzheimer's. Mm. So he and he didn't talk about you know obviously he didn't talk about the war. Mm. I didn't hear a peep from him about it um
0: it's definitely a generational thing too
1: yeah yeah uh yeah you didn't talk about it much but i never i guess i was young when he passed away i was i think 10 yeah 10 or 11 when he passed away so um yeah i never really got to talk to him about those kinds of things but looking back i wish you know i wish i could because that would be interesting
0: I talked to my grandpa, my grandfather, similar story, Italian leaves Italy, comes to the United States, ends up fighting with the United States back in Italy yeah. against his own people mm-hmm. and his own government and the fascist government. And Anzio actually um, was where he received his two purple hearts. But nonetheless, when he, like I, I talked to him a little bit, you know, as I was growing up, mm-hmm. but it, he always was just kind of like, yeah, war's bad. And you know that was it though. Like there wasn't right. too much patriotism. There wasn't too much like anti-war sentiment. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of this like, don't talk about it. He just right. sat in his chair and smoked this pipe, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, uh, I wish, as I got older, because he died when I was high school, like fifteen,
1: mm-hmm.
0: fourteen or fifteen. Okay. So same thing, you know, like I didn't reach that age yet where I could have like real serious conversations right. with him. And it's a shame because I would have liked to have seen <clears throat> how he reacted or how he would have reacted to things like Bush and nine eleven mm-hmm. and the war yeah. in Iraq. And I just have a feeling he wouldn't have supported any of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyway, I, I definitely wish I would have, he would have been around because my dad was in the military, but he wasn't he didn't go overseas.
1: Yeah, same with my Or he my went dad. overseas,
0: but he didn't go to war. Oh, okay. So he was in Germany while everybody else was in Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um. Yeah, my, so your
0: pops was in the military too?
1: Yeah, he was in the Coast Guard. He was actually stationed at Lake Michigan up here in Michigan City. Oh, man. Yeah.
0: So your Michigan City roots are like super deep. deep.
1: They're deep. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have a also have a relative a couple generations back who was the police chief of Michigan City
0: Hmm.
1: so yeah I've got some roots
0: (laughs) Did that ever get you on
1: anything? No? (laughs) Uh, No because it was during the 50s and the 60s but you know I'm going to start bringing that up I think (laughs) I'm going to start talking about you know great uncle Zawaki was police chief of (laughs) Michigan City during the 60s (laughs) how things were back in those days
0: (laughs) Well let me, I got one thing that I did want to, one article I thought you would maybe find interesting because mm-hmm. it's a local article in some ways. I told you we'd only get through. I had yeah. 12 picked out. I cut three down. <laughs> we were down to nine, and now we'll get through about two before the end of the which is fine. That's all good. Um, so this was from the Northwest Indiana Times, Joseph S. Pete, Lake Michigan, to get its first maritime highway. The thing is, is that this article is sort of, it's written and, and and highlights this in a very positive way but
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay so a new shipping route potentially could eliminate a million semi-trailer trucks a year from northwest indiana highways when i hear that i hear a million jobs mm-hmm. supply chain solutions announced at a rail supply chain summit 2017 in the Union League Club in downtown Chicago, it was launching a new cross-lake shipping route after being awarded the first maritime highway designation on Lake Michigan. So Lake Michigan's is going to be a – there's going to be a little maritime highway. The maritime administration will encourage freight to pass between the port of Milwaukee and the port of Muskegon in Michigan with the rail supply chain summit founder Mary Elizabeth Pitts – said has the potential to greatly reduce the amount of truck traffic on the Borman Expressway passing through Northwest Indiana while en route from Michigan to Wisconsin or vice versa. It's the first maritime highway designation for Lake Michigan. That was a quote from Supply Chain Solutions CEO Leslie Les G. Brand III. Anyone who's named Leslie Les G. Brand III. What the <laughs> Fuck! See these? Are, what I the I didn't even read up this. These
1: people! Oh my
0: god! <laughs> Leslie, my name is Leslie <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: CEO of Chain
0: Solutions. Yeah, mm-hmm. God. Okay, so this. All right. So the company is pitching the maritime route. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. The route would launch at the end of the summer and restore intermodal service to the port of Milwaukee, a competitor with the Port of Indiana Burns Harbor. Okay. So I. What worries me about this, of course, is that it's not going to be good for the sea or the lake life. Correct. Um, it's not going to be good for the lake life. That's right. number one. Right.
1: Right. No. I mean, how could it be?
0: So that's going to be bad. I guarantee. Not only so, just imagine the lake life that's not going to that's not going to benefit from this and or be damaged by it. And then the other thing I was immediately thinking was the amount of trash and shit that's going to get mm-hmm. dumped in the lake the same as these shipping containers do in the ocean.
1: Correct. And not even
0: sometimes on purpose, though some of mm-hmm. them do do it on purpose. Yeah. But a lot of times they'll just – it's because there's so much shit on the boat. It just falls off. Hard hats fall off. Mm-hmm. A bottle of water falls off the right. side. This happens. Yeah. And then all this plastic. Where the fuck do people think this is going to come? Exactly. It's going to come down here. Right. It's going to wash up on our, on our beaches. Yep. And then the trucking jobs. So when I hear stuff like this, I also think of the automation.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think of the amount of jobs that will be lost just with like, you know, if you if you can find trucks that can drive themselves. To me, that's like the worst case scenario right, right now.
1: Yeah, because all those people are out of a job. And with automation, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that, well, there has to be someone to fix that. You know, fix that machine, that automated machine, but that would also require probably education in the IT field, um, you know, that a lot of those truck drivers probably would not have access to. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the actual hiring phase, and you can only hire one or two people per machine, where before it was, you know, maybe six or seven truck drivers using one truck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all those people are out of a job now and yeah. good luck.
0: I wonder I, I just wonder if there's if it's actually gonna take a million trucks off the road. Or if it's <clears> just <throat> some BS or if it really does you know, if it really is right. poses a risk. Did you yeah. see the shit that happened in London too? Because I pulled up an article about this.
1: About the uh the working the tower? class tower, yes, yeah. I did. Well I I didn't read a whole lot about it, but I, I know you mentioned it before.
0: Yeah, they have – so two of the women who were feared dead in the Grenfell Tower tragedy in London mm-hmm. were threatened with legal action after raising alarm about fire safety. Jesus so, Christ. So let me say that again for folks who are listening. So Miriam Elgueri and Nadia co were branded troublemakers because they campaigned to make their home safer.
1: Right. So
0: there's two people who could potentially be dead right now who were who were threatened with legal action because they were trying to raise the alarm that this building was a fire hazard just think about that for the rest Mm -hmm. of the day Um, so i guess what drives me the most crazy about this is that i wonder here's the thing like with flint i was really surprised that those eight people got charged Mm -hmm. very surprised Me, but it's also a testament to keeping the pressure on. Yeah. Um, and it was a clear case. Like you made this decision. It was mm-hmm. a negligent decision. Um, I just hope that people are found mm-hmm. accountable for this or right. held accountable for
1: <clears throat> Right. And I mean with this, when I first heard of this, it was – I mean that's a direct attack on working class people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it is. That's – to me that was like psh- – battle cry. You just burned down a building full of people that are trying to make their homes better. I didn't even know about the two women who tried to bring up the fire safety issue. Right. But, you know, when something like this happens, I mean, that was that blew my mind when that happened. It's it's scary because then, you know, you think of people here living in these housing developments and if they were to bring up a safety issue, Right. And then, you know, the company
0: goes after them.
1: Yeah. Company goes after them. Think about, you know, in East Chicago with, uh, the development that, you know, had was on the, uh, super, you know, the super fun site. Mm-hmm. If those people, I mean, was there legal action towards them? Were right. they, you know,
0: or who didn't know? I know they've had an issue. The issue, I believe mm-hmm. in East Chicago is who know, who knew what, when. Yeah. And, you know, because there's this, this liability, all this liability shit because this land has changed hands so often, Right. different private companies have owned it, the cities owned it at times, the Mm -hmm. federal government's owned it at different times. So it's hard to like who knew what, when they were putting stuff there. Right. It's a, just a total disaster. And I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the thing is, is that if you don't hold people accountable, I feel like, especially at that high level, it just sets the worst example possible. Correct. And this is the double standard with the people that are in power and make the laws and the media and the people who are not in power. But this hypocrisy I think is really evident for people, whether Mm -hmm. they know it or not, like whether they consciously acknowledge it or not. Right. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who uh, like, yeah, you know, our leaders are full of shit. They're never held accountable. They rob, Mm and steal and, I'm expected not to. Right. You know, but if, if I rob a gas station, you know, I'll go to jail for 20 years.
1: Right. <clears throat> you know. Oh, yeah, complete hypocrisy. I mean, I think the most violent people in the world are the ones who push this oppression on, you know, working class people and women and people of color. <clears throat> most violent people wear suits. Very true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excuse me, very true. Yeah. Which is why I don't wear a suit. <laughs> I don't know also,
1: one. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I mean, they're kind of comfortable. Sometimes it's nice getting dressed up. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Why wear a suit?
1: Right. Well.
0: Plus, you're wearing a, you know, there's like a weapon around your neck too. Right. It's not good to have a tie on.
1: Yeah. Not smart in case you run into any of those people that might have been in that burning building.
0: Right. Right. Well, it looks, there's video, there's been videos of these people like charging city hall. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I mean, super pissed off.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. Rightfully
0: so. I mean, I, mean, I can't imagine
1: if something like that happened in America. Mm-hmm. You know, London I know is going through some pretty extreme political
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, stuff right now, but I mean, if that happened in the U.S., especially in somewhere like a like in a rural area, mm-hmm. maybe even somewhere in the South, I think that would shit would hit the fan.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I was actually wondering. I was. I actually was. Thinking the opposite way. I was wondering, like, would Americans freak out or would it be like, well, you know, like some people would be mad and other people would be like, well, you know.
1: I yeah. Know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting, though. Yeah, I think,
0: think the other way. That's, I
1: think that. Uh, um, I hope you're right. I hope so, too. Yeah. Well, I don't hope that anything like that happens no, here. but of course not. Of course <laughs> yeah. not.
0: But you know that it will happen because of the oh, negligence. Yeah. So then the question right. is when it does happen, you know.
1: How are people going to react yeah, to that? Yeah,
0: what's the response? Right,
1: right.
0: Well, what else do we have on our list here? We've got four more. There one article I want to send to my friend who often talks. The reason I bring up uh, trucking jobs a lot on this program is because if you look at In northwest Indiana, if you're a high school educated person um, and you look at what jobs are available, it's often trucking jobs. And so my friend often talks about being forced into that. And there's an article that people should read. I'm not going to be able to get to it, but it's called Rigged, Forced into Debt, Worked Past Exhaustion, Left with Nothing by Brett Murphy. This is from USA Today. Check that out. That's June 16th, 2017. It was published. Photos by Omar or Nales and the article written by Brett Murphy that's USA Today rigged, forced into debt, work past exhaustion, left with nothing. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> You're all right there. Goodness. <laughs>
0: yes. Um <clears throat> and okay. Mother with knife killed by police was pregnant and had mental health issues. I don't think we need to go back over this, but you know, this is uh an issue that we've talked about even on this program Mm -hmm. Um, and locally, the gentleman who was shot and killed outside of the hospital when his family called the St. Anthony's hospital and said that they were having trouble with him. Mm -hmm. The police said that they pulled a gun and waved it at someone. Now we don't know if that's true or not.
1: There was no uh, follow up to that. I didn't really see a whole lot about it.
0: I haven't either. And the police, I was at an event where the police chief said that they keep, videos for up to 12 months if there was a shooting. So I'd be very interested to see what the body camera shows, if if anything. Yeah. And I wonder if there will be any follow-up here. But nonetheless, this happened in Seattle. And this is another good example of people who are constantly sort of glorifying the Pacific Northwest. I have a lot of friends who live in that area. And there are, like many places, to. Distinctively different Pacific Northwest, you know, there's -hmm. one for people who have money and who are white And there's -hmm. a different one for people of color who are poor and even for rural whites who are poor and for those who've been to Eastern Washington or Eastern Oregon, you definitely know what I'm talking about This story is definitely another horrific story and I want to bring this up because I think it's really important that we recognize the kind of trust that is broken when a person in uniform kills a citizen. Um, we have to remember that we entrust police officers with uh, the most, uh, I think, sort of amazing power that we give anyone in society, which mm-hmm. is the power to kill people and the power to detain people. Right. And I think that's why it makes it that much more important. You know, people often say. Oh my God, isn't it bad that this police officer got killed? And yes, it's, I think it's always bad when anyone gets killed. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's actually the other way around. Like we have these state funerals for police officers and it should be the other way around. When a police officer kills someone, I think that society should stop and we should recognize that person in that action because Mm -hmm. it's very, that that trust has been broken and and when it is continually broken and when it's systemically broken, people, uh, the distrust turns to anger, and I just feel like as things continue in this country and, and as the police continue to, to behave like this and as these institutions continue to lose the trust of the public, I think you'll see more and more anger.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: Sarah, thank you
1: thank for coming you. on the program. Absolutely. Awesome having Anytime. you.
0: We'll have you back for sure.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, two more articles. Check them out. Scientists stunned by Antar- Antarctic rainfall and a melt area bigger than texas that article by chris mooney from the washington post and also from abc news another uplifting article i was not even in a bad mood today i'm sorry for all this super depressing shit shootings kill or injure at least 19 u.s children each day that is fucking crazy this is totally crazy this is by the ap Shootings kill or injure 19 children every day in the United States from an average of 1297 children shot dead each year between 2012 and 2014 1297 children shot dead each year between 2012 and 2014 230 were girls 1067 were boys 229 were ages 12 or younger 1,068 were ages 13 to 17 years old. The death rate per 100,000, 4.1 for African Americans, 2.1 for American Indians, 1.5 for white people, and 1.1 for the Hispanic community, and 0.4 for Asian Americans. Check this out, ABC News, shootings kill or injure at least 19 U.S. children each day. On a positive note, folks, Stay sane. I know it's crazy out there. Don't pay attention to Trump. Turn off your social media. Spend time with your friends and loved ones. Pay attention to your senses. Read some books. Create something. And we'll see you next Monday. You're listening to Meditations and Molotovs. I am your host, Vince Emanuele. You're listening to the Progressive Radio Network, where you can find us every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time at prn.fm. In what we're doing now, we're getting to Either organic or organic. Simply put it in.